Reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Well, isn't it exciting to have Christmas? Yes. yes. As adults, we don't show our excitement outwardly, but we love it just like the kids, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, and we get to tell this wonderful Christmas story again, a story that we hear year by year. Mary, uh, a virgin, gives birth to a son, God's son, and Joseph... Uh, and her named this son Jesus, as an angel told them to name him. And this baby is born in a stable. And yet, this baby is the son of God. And the shepherds are told, go down and have a look at this thing that's happened. What is it that's happened? Have a look for yourself. What is going on? And what I want to talk about tonight is what's going on at Christmas. What is the guts of the message that Christmas is all about? What's the heart of it? And I'm going to give you four points. And the reason I do that is so you can count along and you'll know when we're coming to the end. So, yeah, that's good. And the first one, I want to talk about something which the hymn uh, Silent Night is called the Dawn 
of redeeming grace. The dawn as in D-A-W-N of redeeming grace. Then I'm going to talk about what is grace. Then I'm going to talk about what does the world think the good news is. That's not the Christian world. And last bit is who can be saved? Who can call on the name of the Lord? But I'm going to start with this, the dawn of redeeming grace. You know what the dawn is? Dawn's, it's been dark all night. And in winter especially, you get those cold, dark nights. And then, like if you, especially if you're camping out and the first sun hits your swag, and it's good because you start to thaw out. It's like new life. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah was written some 600 years before Jesus came along. And it spoke of the time that would come. And it spoke of a time when the people were walking in darkness. It was dark all around. But actually, the darkness they were living in was caused by their own rebellion. Rebellion against God. And it says this of them in Isaiah 8 verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Well, that sounds happy, doesn't it? This is not the happy Christmas story. Just so you get this, right? This is what happens just before the happy Christmas story. This is the darkest, coldest part of the night which happens just before the dawn. And it says... The people, and the people have been rebelling against God, don't want your laws, don't want you, don't want to follow you, God. We're doing our own thing. They've been doing that for hundreds of years. And as a result, they become lost and they become hungry and they become angry. Even though they're not following God, they become really, really angry with the God that they're not following. Do you remember the bit on Faulty Towers where his car breaks down, right? And he sits, I'll give you three seconds. One, two, three. He doesn't even turn it over. And then he gets out and he gives it a damn good thrashing. And he shakes his fist at God. <laughs> he made his car not go. You didn't remember that moment. Right. <laughs> People who rebel against God and don't even believe in God are dirty angry with the same God they don't believe in. And they're thrust into utter darkness. So it seems like there's no hope. But then in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 2, it says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. Now what caused this? If we go down to verse 6. What caused this joy to suddenly come? What caused this dawn of Redeeming grace, this dawn of light, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Okay, now if you divided history into two bits, the Bible does it kind of Old Testament, New Testament, we might do it the birth of Jesus whether we understand the Old and New Testament or whatever. What we understand is this. There came a moment in history where everything changed. And that moment was when Jesus was born. 
there was a huge turnaround where everything went in the other direction. It was the moment the sun poked its head up over the horizon that hope flooded into our life, the dawn of redeeming grace. It came at the birth of Jesus, an incredible event where God chose to become a human being and yet he was the son of God. He was God himself and yet he was a human being in humility and as God. So, this is what these shepherds are about to go and witness. The angel said to them, don't be afraid because their pants were scared off of them, basically. A dirty great angel shines and the light of glory shines around. They're just sitting around their campfires and they are terrified, it says. And And the angel says, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. There is one who has been born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was important because the Old Testament said a saviour is going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where David come from. Why is David important? He was a great king of Israel. Well, one's going to come who's going to be even better than the great king of Israel. This is him. This is God. And this is how you'll know what we're saying is true. You go down there, you're going to find a baby laying in a manger. Now, you know what a manger is, don't you? It's like a feed trough for animals. Yep. Not the normal place you find a baby. But the one who is in there is God himself. God with us, Emmanuel. That's what we sing about, Emmanuel. That means God with us. This is how you'll know. Then suddenly, as if one angel wasn't terrifying enough, a multitude of angels appear. I don't know what that looks like. I think in the Bible that's probably the biggest mob of angels that appear And I think if they were terrified the first time, well, they might be a little bit more terrified the second time. And these angels are praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. They glorify God. They've seen his plan start to unveil about how he is going to work out his purposes in all creation through his son becoming a, a baby. And becoming a saviour. And they praise God, which is the calling of all of creation, including every one of us, to glorify God. That's what our lives are about. That's the point of everything. Because God alone is glorious. And it says, on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Peace on those who he finds favourable. Or another Bible version might say, peace on those in whom he's pleased. Now we might think, okay, I want to be one of the ones he's pleased with. What do you got to do to make God pleased with you? You've got to be really, really good, right? Now come on, pull up your socks, everybody. Let's, who in this room has been really, really good? Oh, we're in trouble here, aren't we? We're all going down. Um, so, on whom God's favour rests. How many people here deserve God's favour to rest on them? 
because they've got it right. They've always obeyed him in every way. Okay, not me. Sorry, if you're looking at me thinking I'm perfect, no way. Okay, so it's all about this word grace, which is my second part. What is the dawn of redeeming? Grace. What's grace mean? Grace is this. God sends his son to save the world, his only son, not because they deserved it, not because they earned it, but because, quite simply, that's what God's like. Okay, put it this way. For thousands of years, ever since Adam and Eve, the first couple, started sinning, every person throughout all of humanity has rebelled against God. They've said, yeah, yeah, we know you've got rules, God, but we're not doing your way. We're not going your way. We are deliberately going against the one who made us. So, just picture this. I'm going to use Henry. Henry, just say that you created these beautiful group of people and as soon as you made them, all they ever did was got up here, hated you, run their... What would you do to them? I didn't hear you, but whatever it is, it would have been good. Um, (laughs) I would expect that God would send his son to earth to fry them all. Let's get down there and knock them all off. Let's kill them. Yeah? That's not what happens. God sends his son to be a human being to save the very people who have rejected him, who have hated him and, and rebelled against him all their lives. He actually sent his son to save them, not because they deserved it, not because they'd done a single thing, but because that is God, the God of grace. Hey, that's good because you said a minute ago that none of us have made the grade, right? So there's a bit of hope for us, not because we've done anything good, but because he is the God of grace. The Bible actually, even in the Old Testament, had always said that God was good and that God was a God of grace. I just want to show you one time in Exodus 34, verse 6. And God appears to Moses there and he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord. And it says this about God. He is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, forgives rebellion, forgives sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's always been gracious. He's always been slow to anger. He's always been abounding in love and faithfulness. But how is it possible? I don't know if you heard there's a bit in there, right? One bit says he's going to forgive sin. That's cool. And then it says... But he won't let the guilty go unpunished. Not cool. Aren't they contradictory? Don't they? He's going to forgive all your sins, but he's not going to let your sin go unpunished. How's that going to work out? How's that possible that the God who says, I will always punish all your sin, can also say, and I'll forgive your sin? Well, I'll tell you how it works out. It works out like this. God sent his son Jesus at Christmas time to become a baby and he would become a perfect man who then on the cross would bear our sin. Sin was punished for in Jesus. 
He bore the punishment that was due to us. So he maintains to be a God who is forgiving of sins and also one who never lets sin go unpunished. Jesus became sin for us. He was punished for our sins on the cross. And that's the good news of grace. Okay. So I now want to tell you what the bad news is. The bad news is of what the world thinks is a replacement for the good news. Okay? And I'm going to use uh, a famous example of this. His name's Santa Claus. I don't know if you've heard of Santa Claus. Right? You've heard of him? Just want to tell you a bit about him. He has a theory and it goes like this, right? You better watch out. Better not cry. Don't go pouting, right? I'm going to tell you why Santa Claus is coming to town. That's a little bit creepy. Slightly, right? And just in case you're worried, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you're naughty or nice, right? Santa Claus is coming to town. And, and not only that, just in case you, you have a nice peaceful night, he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So you better be good, right? Yeah? Thanks a lot for that. I don't know how this doesn't give kids nightmares. Anyway. In other words, he says what the world says. You get what you deserve. If you're good, you get good stuff. And in my day, when I was a kid, we got told that if I was good, you'd get presents in your sack under the Christmas tree. And if you're bad, you got it full of horse poop. Did you ever get told that? Anyone else get told that? Right? Do you know what I always deserved? <laughs> yeah, okay. Horse poop. That's what it is. And even sometimes Christians say this thing that says the same thing. They say, God helps those who help themselves. Guess what? None of us can help ourselves. God helps those who can't help themselves, who are dead in darkness. That's who he helps. So what I'm saying is this idea that you can have a, a, shit, a sheet and a list and I'm going to check it twice, we're all going to fail and this kills us. It's not grace, it's anti-grace. Unless anybody pouted this year? Apparently pouting is really bad. If he sees you pouting, you're stuffed. You're out of here. I can see one right now. <laughs> Sorry. No pouting. God's watching you. He's going to, you slip up once. Yep. Yep. Lots of horse poop. Okay. We've all been naughty. That's one problem with this gospel. This so-called good news. But our message is this. God has not walked away from us when we've been naughty all, all our lives. We didn't deserve anything and Jesus came to give us eternal life when we deserved nothing. He came full of forgiveness. So the naughty kids and naughty adults have the hope of eternal life. The other problem with this gospel is this this message that comes, sorry, I'm not, not just bagging, it's just I'm having fun with this, right? Is that naughty kids are naughty all year, but really they never ever get the horse, do they? 
They actually get all the presents anyway. So what does that tell them? It doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get good stuff anyway. Who cares? In other words, the guilty go unpunished. If you can get away with it, do what you like, right? This world is strangely legalistic. There's a billion rules in our culture. Billion rules in our government and everything else, right? And at the same time, well, everybody seems to be breaking them and no one really cares. So this teaches us simultaneously you can't do whatever you like and you can do whatever you like and it leaves people in guilt because they suffer knowing that they've done wrong and there's never any consequences. Whereas the good news of Jesus tells us this, we have done wrong and Jesus has dealt with that wrong. He suffered for that wrong once and for all by his grace. And therefore God is perfectly holy and just and righteous the whole way through. That's the gospel of the world. Okay, so who is this for? Who can be saved? Well, the Bible tells us this. All who will trust in Jesus turn from whatever they were going down, whatever path, and turning to Jesus. Doing a 180, we call that. And you've got to give lots of money to the church. I'll give my PIN number afterwards, just so that you can do that. Um, and you've got... That was a joke, just in case some of you are looking worried. <laughs> OK, Henry. <laughs> you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to serve... You, you gotta, you gotta be really good. You gotta. What do you gotta do to be saved? You've gotta trust in Jesus because you can't save yourself. The salvation comes as a gift from God to you by His grace. But who, who can be saved? Who can receive that? Well, I just want to tell you the first people who went to see Jesus in the manger, were shepherds. They were poor. They were, well, we won't say dumb, but we'll say they were simple people. They weren't writing books and stuff like that, okay? But they were Jews. They had that going for them, so they are on the right side of the fence. Okay, so Jews, poor people, not so smart. But then the next group of people come were Who? Magi, the wise men, well, they were quite rich. And they weren't Jews, they were foreigners. And they were super smart. These guys knew how to work stars in those days. And all of those worshipped Jesus as the king. Who can be saved? Well, it's not dependent on whether you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter how smart you are. There's hope for me. Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or whether you're from anywhere else in the world. Salvation is open to all who will call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And from the moment you put your trust in Jesus, your life will turn from a life of darkness to a time of great light, of great joy and of great peace. And I really would encourage you if you've never put your trust in Jesus, to do that tonight. How do you do that?
Well, just tell him. What, what words do you got to say to Jesus? Yeah, just use whatever comes out. It'll be right. Just talk to him. Because he's there and you'll get the shock of your life when you find out he's real. I'm going to pray now and thank him for sending his son. Father, we thank you that you have loved us and you've been gracious to us even when we've been rebellious sinners. Thank you that even when we were at our worst, you sent your son to save us. Thank you that he gave his life on the cross for us to bear our sin and our punishment. We thank you for him. And Father, we want to just trust in him and know him more and more. And Father, we also want to say we're sorry for all of the times that we've gone against you day by day, knowing you, but not turning to you and not loving you as we should. I pray that you would make real to us this Christmas the truth of your grace and mercy and love and also that you don't let sins go unpunished. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.